The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, at the time of recording now, we are about three and a half weeks away from the upcoming FOCAC Summit. That's the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. For those of you who are not following this as closely as we are, it is a huge deal. You know, 50 African leaders will be coming to Beijing. This happens every three years. And it's really one of many global summits that African leaders take part in. The Japanese do something called TCAD. Uh, I think the Europeans also do something to this extent, maybe not quite on the scale that the Chinese are doing it. But there's no one that does it with the pomp and the circumstance that the Chinese do. And what's so interesting about it is that this time, the media coverage from around the world and the media interest leading up to the summit, I have noticed is far more intense than it was back in 2015 and certainly back in 2012. Uh, Kobus, you in particular uh, have been all over the press. Journalists have been interviewing you and asking you questions. I'm not sure why it's gone up so much this year. Maybe it's that we're a little bit more well-known, but also because interest in what the Chinese are doing in Africa is much, much higher. My feeling is it has a lot to do with, you know, unsureties and and anxieties about what the next step will be for the West and what the West's next position will be. So, you know, during the Obama era, you know, the China-Africa thing was was kind of a little bit of a sideshow off to the, you know, off on the margins. Now, you know, the the world trade system is in a lot, is in a more precarious position. And I think now suddenly it feels more serious. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the topics are that we're being asked about in from the point of view of different journalists from different parts of the world as a way to try to understand what the different narratives are in how people are going to perceive the FOCAC summit and China-Africa relations in general. Because I think there's been some very discernible tone and themes that come out of the questions that we had. So, for example, uh, in the United States, the questions that I've gotten over the past two or three weeks, and I, I haven't done as many interviews as you have, but from several of the U.S. journalists who've approached me, the first question out of their mouth is about debt. And that doesn't surprise me in some ways because that has been the the main point of coverage for the past six to nine months coming out of the United States, ever since Rex Tillerson, the former U.S. Secretary of State, went to Africa and really talked, you know, he was very outspoken about U.S. concerns over rising debt levels from the Chinese towards Africans. And they really put into the vernacular this idea of debt trap diplomacy. So it's not surprising, again, that that would be a question that comes from American journalists, because that's something that people have been talking about. What are your thoughts on that, Kobus? For me, it's it struck me as you know I, I agree with you that it's that it, it is a strong theme in uh, with American journalists, um, and of course the Tillerson quote is this this kind of 
peg that you would hook the, the entire the entire discussion on. You know, everyone would refer back to the to the warning that that he had that he put out um, just before Gary getting fired earlier this year. Um, you know that that China is using debt as a way to manipulate African countries. For me, it reflects a lot about about worries in the U.S. about strategic encroachment of China. And so, you know, it's it's kind of it's a it's a debate that's couched a lot in concern. Uh, in performing concern about about African debt sustainability, but I, I in these conversations, I sometimes wondered how how big a concern that actually is, and how much is it actually about worries simply about you know Chinese encroachment. Now, there's two other news items that came up in this past week, talking about what you're saying about the bigger context of American fears, concerns, worries, ambivalence about the Chinese, whatever adjective you want to put in there. Interesting enough, the New York Times reported that the United States may be redeploying uh, several hundred of its special operations forces from Djibouti to to the Asian theater or possibly to engage Russia or to deal with Russia. So that was, again, another indication that there are concerns about taking on China and redeploying from Africa some of those forces. The other thing that's happened in the past couple of weeks is this momentum in Washington about really starting to ramp up America's commercial diplomacy to rival China in Africa. So it came out, let's say there's been a sequence of events going back, oh, about a month, when the head of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, a group called OPIC, which for the most part is relatively small compared to uh, certainly China's investment portfolio, uh, the Singaporeans, the, the the UAE, but the United States does have this kind of this portfolio where it backs loans for American companies to go invest overseas. But now there was an editorial that came out or a column penned by um, by a senator and uh, Robert Lighthouser, who is the U.S. Commerce Secretary, and uh, they kind of came out on CNBC and said that they really want to back a bill in Congress for a huge increase to uh, to the American investment portfolio that, that will really rival China and Africa. And there's been this momentum picking up saying, we want to do this. And I'm wondering if they are doing this now because they want to try and challenge some of the narrative that will come out of Beijing in a few weeks when clearly the headline is going to be this massive number that comes out of the summit, 60, 70 billion dollars in financial aid packages or financial package from the Chinese to Africans. What are your thoughts on that in terms of the timing of all of this discussion from the United States about expanding its commercial diplomacy initiatives in Africa? I tend to think that you know I tend to agree with you. Um, of course, you know this this initiative has been being has been pushed. I think for a while, Senator Chris Coons was has been pushing. Coons, I, okay, I forgot his name, but right, Chris Coons and and Lighthouse and Commerce Secretary Lighthouse. Yeah. Thank you for, um, and, for, and, and, for Kuhn, and Kuhn's has been has been pushing this for a few years. You know, he's been on the China Africa beat for a while. Um, of course, they're pushing back not only against Chinese narratives, but they also, I think, you know, I don't know how, how consciously, but but the, but the U.S. also has to still, you know, push back against na- narratives coming from the Trump White House about Africa as well. You know, so that the the shithole comments. Should all countries comment, um, you know, from last late last year, uh, you know, it might have been forgotten in Washington, but it certainly hasn't been forgotten in Africa. Um, so, you know, so it, there, there is this kind of like double, like this, like trying to, to contain Chinese influence, but at the same time, it's maybe also some damage control being done from the U.S. side. Yeah. Well, a couple, let's say two weeks ago, I did some interviews with some French journalists, and it was interesting that the questions that came from them was more about 
China's influence in Africa. And that was very interesting to me. They didn't bring up the debt issue uh, anywhere near as much. It was a passing reference, but it was most of our discussion focused on whether or not China's influence is growing to be too much. And they were they didn't say it, but there was this kind of veiled reference to the neocolonial theme that we hear all the time. And I think oh, that in, taps into in some of the... In, in, in interviews with European journalists with me, it wasn't veiled. It, it, it was explicit. Like, it was like, oh, is China, you know, isn't China just a neocolonial master? You know, that kind of question came up a lot. Okay, so how did you answer that then? Um, I mean, I think people who've listened to the show for a while can almost recite our answer to this. Um, you know, I, I tend to always say that I, um, that I think it. You know, it, it doesn't really take into account the way that the specific ways that China does business in Africa, which can be problematic in lots of different ways. But I, but I don't think it's neo-colonial, because there isn't really any any attempt to control African governments in the way that that a, a colonial system would, um, and that it it might well be kind of skewed and unequal influence. But it should then be looked at as a case of skewed and unequal influence. You can't just you can't just apply a 19th century concept to it. 21st century reality. So when you're getting those questions about neocolonialism and influence, particularly from European journalists, are you reading it the same way that you're getting the debt questions from the Americans about what this says related to the larger context in Europe and about how Europe sees its role in the world, which for in the most part, I think, is increasingly insecure? We're growing increasingly concerned that Europe may not be able to hold itself together in the next 20 years much less be able to project influence in other parts of the world. At the same time, uh, President Macron of France has been uh, going into Africa and spending a lot more time on the continent than he does. And he's been speaking to young people and trying to change a little bit of the positioning of France in Africa. And in some ways, I think that's a healthy adjustment in, in response to the growing Chinese presence. Uh, but at the same time, I'd be curious to kind of get your take on where do you think those questions are coming from and what do you think the journalists are trying to kind of feed back into their publications? I mean, it's always a difficult question because journalists themselves sit at a slight remove from their own societies, you know. So it's difficult to just just assume that that the preoccupations of journalists are necessarily exactly the same as the ones of governments, for example. But for me, it's always, there seems to, and, and again, here I'm psychoanalyzing the entire continent, which is not great, but there's, there's always... It, it seems like the, the issues around neocolonialism and Chinese control seems to me emotionally somewhat uh, somewhat more complex in the European case because I think, you know, Europe is so much closer to Africa. African welfare has a direct bearing on European politics and European economics and, you know, in, in, through, for example, the arrival of lots and lots of migrants. So there is a kind of a, they have some, a little bit more skin in the game, I think, in, in the game of African development, I think, than, than, than the US does. But at the same time, they also have this long colonial hangover in a, a kind of a, a feeling of direct responsibility for some of African problems, which I think also the US tends to be a bit in denial about, about its complicity in some African problems. And so, you know, kind of there is this kind of like more like fraught psychological situation going on in these conversations. And then as a, you know, as a an African of European descent who's presence in Africa is extremely problematic for lots of historical ways. I then have to stop myself from not not pointing out all of these elephants in the room, you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it becomes it becomes a very like like yeah, like you know, European art movie kind of conversation, you know, loaded with lots of subtext. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> well, generally speaking, U.S. and European media coverage of the Chinese, not just in Africa, but in general, tends to be negative or skeptical at best. Uh, in Africa, the situation is far more complex. Uh, we see a much wider array of stories, some that are glowingly, almost propagandistic in their tone, and then others that are extreme to the other side in terms of the cynicism, skepticism. I see a much wider range of views in Africa than I do certainly here in China, where for the most part, there is no negative coverage of the Chinese in Africa. It's only positive, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about what you do in your dealings with African journalists, because being based in Johannesburg, you obviously deal more with them than anybody else. So what is your take on how they are reading this and what are some of the questions that they're asking you? I agree with you that you, that you kind of get a wider range of questions. Um, you know, some extremely negative, some very positive. Positive in the sense of, of essentially looking for, just looking for your support for their enthusiasm for China, Chinese relations with Africa. But, but I think generally the, the, the buy or the, the, the kind of viewpoint that comes out the most is how is this going to play out for Africa? You know, kind of how can Africa maximize its outputs? You know, what are the dangers to Africa? What are the benefits to Africa? It's a, you know, it's, it's not surprising. It's a very Africa, Af Afrocentric view of, of the situation more than say how it fits into geopolitics in the world. Well, that kind of makes sense, given the fact that they're catering to their local markets. And I'd be interested to get your take on whether or not you're seeing a big discrepancy in the coverage, uh, say, from Nigerian media, South African media, Ethiopian, Kenya, depending on their engagement and what they're doing right now with the Chinese. So generally speaking, I would say that there's in Kenya a lot of skepticism. And the timing, for example, of this recent standard gauge railway scandal that came out a couple weeks ago, if you guys weren't following it, uh, there was this report that came out, I forget, the, I think it was in the Standard newspaper, in the Sunday Standard, I think, I might be wrong on that, where basically it was revealed that Chinese managers were allegedly treating local Kenyan employees terribly. And this caused an enormous amount of outrage on social media and really undermined a lot of the key narratives of the win-win diplomacy, the win-win development that the Chinese put out there. And it clearly wasn't win-win if, in fact, uh, Chinese managers are not respecting local employees, if the transfer of technology and skills is not happening as promised and all of these different things. And it undermined the key narrative. So I think that affected a lot of the coverage coming out of Kenya recently, that there's a lot more skepticism. That said, Kenyatta's, the president's, his allies in the media have been really pushing forward a very a positive agenda with dealing with the Chinese and how the, the loans are really helping develop infrastructure. So in some ways, the Chinese are getting sucked into domestic factional politics in certain countries. Um, and that is that's not surprising, given that these are highly, highly partisan, political, and volatile issues for many, many countries, especially those that are taking on enormous amounts of Chinese debt. So that's very interesting when you look at the African coverage, just to kind of analyze where it's coming from and what side of the equation and the party and who's behind the media entity that may give you also an indication of where uh, it's coming from. So, for example, in Zimbabwe, in the elections, Chamisa, who was challenging Menangangwa, uh, he, he was running on an anti-Chinese platform. So some of the opposition media coverage of, of the Chinese was, was quite negative to reflect Chamisa's positions overall. So I, I, in South Africa, are you seeing that as well in terms of some of Ramaphosa's, let's say, critics or his enemies and the media that support them as well? 
Um, I saw uh, in, in South Africa, there's a, at the moment, I think a lot of tea leaf reading about trying to figure out in which direction the Ramaphosa uh, leadership will go, because it's still relatively early days for them. Um, and this, under this, during the Zuma administration, South Africa was very close to China. And it, South Africa clearly is still very close to China. You know, the, the optics of the, of the Xi visit to South Africa was extremely friendly. But I think there's a lot of a lot of kind of questions I heard were, you know, do you think Ramaphosa is going to be as close to China as Zuma was? You know, what will that mean? How, like, what does it mean for South Africa's uh, linkages with more traditional partners like the UK, for example? Um, so there's a, a lot of trying to gauge what's going on behind closed doors in the government, um, and I think that is actually true in a lot of a lot of questions coming from African journalists is you know, either trying to, to work out exactly where their own governments are sitting in relation to China or frequently kind of, you know, discounting the influence that their own governments have. So you have to sometimes remind people that, no, look, African governments have a lot of say in this relationship. It's not, it's not just things that are imposed on Africa as a block or as, as, a, as an entire continent. African governments have a certain amount of decision-making power within this relationship and, and they need to be called to order in case they make the wrong decision. Um, you know, that's, there, there is a kind of a, almost a, an assumption or a, an, an, an kind of a cynicism about African governments that is so that lies so deep that it was almost invisible. You know that it, it, it just shapes how people think, where it just dismisses whatever whatever the the African government is busy with, um, which which I think is stronger in certain African countries than others. But it you know I, I think it there is a it's an interesting kind of overlap between different African regions. What, what do you think? I do. And I think African media in that sense is very, very difficult to analyze because you can't simply, you know, paint a broad brush. There is no theme that I can pick out because it is so varied. It is so fragmented by language, by politics, by region, by faction. Uh, I remember when I was living in the DR Congo, there were some, you know, 50 publications out there, each representing a different faction politically, you know, whether they were newspapers or radio. It was so much media and they were so partisan. And, and that, that made it very difficult for analysis. So I don't envy those of you who are doing media studies in Africa because it is actually much more difficult than it seems yeah, on the outside. Yeah, there's a lot out there in Africa. There's yeah. a lot out there. And I think now in the digital space, it's even more complicated because the online space is very, very dynamic and becoming increasingly so. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. So let's quickly move to Asia. Um, I haven't done any interviews uh, here, actually, which is rather ironic. Um, have you done, have Asian journalists contacted you? So many Chinese journalists. I've, I've done oh, a, interesting. A, a, lot, okay. a lot of Chinese TV Good. here. So let's, let's, because I have some opinions on that, but uh, what are they asking you? What are Chinese journalists talking about? And again, I think um, it's, you know, we love China. Why don't you tell us how much you love China? <laughs> That's the kind of well, questions yeah, I would imagine that, is, that, that they're is asking kind you. of the vibe. Yeah, um, the, I just have to make to make clear that that the, the the people I've been interviewed by have mostly been state-owned media. Um, you know, I've I've not had, for example, uh, you know 
conversations with journalists from places like Saishin. I did have a, a one one interview with someone from South China Morning Post, um, which is but, technically you know, but, not but, China. Technically not China. Well, of course, um, but but you know, in, in terms of what I mean is you know the the kind of wider non-government press, you know, in the region, um, most of them were with different different outlier different branches of China Daily or or CCTV CGTN okay. um, you know it, it depends very much on the host sometimes they, they they're kind of more some hosts are more contentious than others and they, they're willing to to kind of to dive into more controversial stuff than others but generally it it tends to be very much along the lines for example of you know, China has already done so much for you know to help Africa and all in this and this and this way. How do you think cooperation between China and Africa can be enhanced further? For example, that kind of question. You know, so so it it, it sets up a, a kind of a, an assumed a set of assumptions, and then it kind of moves from there. Um, yeah. You know, so 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 it's it's a kind of a playing it safe question asking strategy, I think. And there's no fundamental questioning of China's engagement in Africa as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing uh, in by the Chinese media's term. And again, remember, the Chinese media is actually not an extension of the state. And this is one of the big misunderstandings about the Chinese and how the system here works. The Chinese media is an extension of the party. And that is very, very important. So you will never see Chinese media challenge any of the orthodoxies of the Communist Party, and by extension, that's the state, because Xi Jinping sits atop both the party and the state. Uh, so that that is just one, it's a, it's a subtle distinction. I think for most people consuming Chinese media, whether it's CGTN, China Daily, any of these, uh, you won't notice it. But at the end of the day, party orthodoxy is the key tenant there. And so what you won't see, for example, is some of the more questionable, controversial things about whether or not it's worthwhile for the Chinese to be spending so much on aid given the fact that the economy here is slowing. Uh, there are a lot of people here that are in need of money. The social services are very, very poor in many respects, particularly in the countryside. And so it is controversial that China spends so much money on Africa. And that is something that a lot of people in Africa are not necessarily attuned to. They're very surprised when they hear that it's controversial that the Chinese are actually donating or giving or giving so many loans and so many grants out there when, in fact, domestically, there's very much a similar vibe here as there is in Europe and the United States, where a lot of people question the merit of aid. And so I was asked the other day whether or not um, people question aid here, and they do. Uh, they don't question it in the same way that they do in the United States through endless media coverage and stories, and it's a very high-profile discussion and debate, but it is talked about. And I kind of understand that in one sense. When you've got a rickety healthcare system, a rickety social safety net, and then you read these headlines of $60 billion going to Africa, you know, if you're a Chinese taxpayer, you're wondering, like, what? What? Really? You know, and so I get where that's coming from. On the other hand, we don't have an open debate here. There is no two ways about it. Uh, certain themes are censored on social media. Uh, discussions about Chinese uh, military presence in Africa is not something that's openly talked about only in the context of United Nations sanctioned multinational peacekeeping operations where we see, of course, you know, uh, very ro you know, strong, robust military presence from the Chinese and these really patriotic types of images that we see in Wolf Warrior 2. That stuff is really, really popular. What I will I mean, tell the you, other, though... The other thing that, that I would add to that is that there is, you know, there, there is on the one hand this kind of this distrust and doubt in, in, in the aid 
you know, in, in giving aid, especially to Africa. But then at the, at the same time, I think both in China and there's an interesting echo in, in Chinese and US coverage um, of, of this issue in the sense that it on both sides, it is the, the China-Africa relationship is used as a way to question the opposite superpower, you know. Um, the US uses China-Africa relationship to question China, and China uses China-Africa relationships to, to question the US. Um, and so you would you would have a lot of questions around, you know, how, you know, it is so clear, for example, it's so clear that, that, that Africa, you know, what Africa needs is more free trade and more free investment. Yet, and you, the a superpower that will remain nameless is at the moment like withdrawing from multilateralism worldwide. Do you think that is a very destructive course? That kind of question, you know. So, <laughs> so like the, um, you know, the there is this this way of China-Africa relationship in, in doesn't make sense on its own. It uh, it starts only making sense in the context of a kind of a global geopolitical order. You know, kind of where these two, these two are kind of pulling at different ends. It's a proxy for a lot of other issues. And uh, what I was just about to say is what I will say, though, which is very, very different this time than it was in the past, is how more average Chinese have a connection and understanding of Africa. And this has blown me away. I was taking a Didi the other day, which is the equivalent of an Uber. And I was telling him that, you know, I'm interested in China, Africa and China foreign policy. And he was saying how many of his friends have gone to Africa to earn money and to open businesses and to do things. And I was like, huh, that's amazing. He's just a, a normal driver. He's not well connected. He comes from a, an interior province, moved to Shanghai. So he's, he's not somebody who's necessarily well connected. My Chinese teacher, same thing. Several of her friends have gone to Africa. And, and, I'm, and then I've just, this has re happened over and over and over again that people have a personal connection either to people that have gone or to companies that they work for or are affiliated with that are engaged in Africa. And it's not considered to be a big deal anymore. Yeah, my friend went to Africa to go make some money and to do something. And I was like, huh, that is really interesting. So the idea that this coverage feeds into people being already accustomed or more accustomed to Africa and to the economic engagement that has been built up over the past decade, uh, to me, that's actually quite encouraging that people are moving to the next stage in their understanding on the street level. And, and you know, again, I'm encouraged when everybody's thinking beyond their own immediate world. And so somebody like my Didi driver that day was thinking about Africa was to me pretty cool. Yeah, very much. It's, it's very interesting because there's also a normalization of Africa. There isn't the situation, you know, Africa is just another place on the map. It isn't It isn't this thing of like, oh, someone goes there and then it's never heard of again. Um, and, you know, so, so I think that's very useful. And, and of course, media is key to that. I think one of, one of the reasons why the two of us speak about media so much in China-Africa relations is that there actually is no China-Africa relations without media, you know? Like without, without the, the kind of mediation of something like FOCAC, FOCAC is essentially a bunch of photographs of handshakes and then big doors close and then you don't see anything else. You know, it's, it's behind closed doors, it's elite to elite. Without media, there's media narrating it and, and trying to ferret out what actually the discussion is and so on. It's it's completely separate from normal people's lives and completely invisible to them. Um, and but but there is no neutral media. Like you know, the, the, as as we 
you know, all of these different questions from different journalists show, it always comes from a place. It always comes from some kind of set position, set set of priorities or, or preoccupations. Um, and you have to keep that in mind, you know, kind of because it shapes reality. It does. Perception shapes reality is what they say. So, Cobus, you and I had intended to make this a short show, about 15 minutes, and here we are, double that already. So I think we've <laughs> kind of done this. Um, we did overlook the fact that Central American and South American media uh, have not called me. Have you had any no, uh, from the Americas? No. Okay. My, my and feeling that too, is that there isn't that much interest in, in there at the moment isn't in that South much America. Interest. There, no. there really isn't. And I, I think, think there's that, more interest kind in of South Asia. In India, I think there's more interest. Oh, absolutely. And in India, you know, the coverage is all henny penny, the sky is falling because... Super negative, um, yeah. Yeah, super negative because that feeds into the narrative and the concerns and fears that people have about China's encroachment on the... Uh, on on the Indian Ocean and the and certainly in places like Sri Lanka as well uh, and don't forget that China and India have border disputes that are still going on so it's a very complex relationship with India and China's relationship with Pakistan as well feeds into those insecurities in India as well so very very complicated we didn't talk about also how the coverage of FOCAC is tying into Belt and Road uh, which also is a big theme of all of this which is going on right now and one of the things to come out that we expect from FOCAC is the inclusion of all of Africa into China's One Belt, One Road, which will be very interesting and something we'll discuss after the summit because, well, right now it's all speculation and we actually want to wait to see if there's something legitimate that comes out of it. So that is our take on the media coverage based on the interviews that Kobus and I have been doing over the past two or three weeks. Um, all of this, of course, is speculation. We would like to see what actually comes of it. When we start reading the media coverage, what do you think? Are we on base in terms of some of the generalizations that we put forward? Some of it's caricatures and stereotypes, but some of it is actually just the perceptions that we have in our day-to-day -day media coverage of the China-Africa story and certainly with FOCAC. So we'd like to hear from you. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, they're in the show notes for the show, uh, but also you can go to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com and all the dots and Ws and contacts are there. So we'd love to hear from you. And we try to get back to almost every email that we get. And so uh, we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at eOlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.